0: Greetings, you are joining us at Calvary Chapel Valdosta where Pastor Deshawn Van Cleve will resume the sermon series found in the book of Hebrews this morning. Today's message is entitled, A Better Priesthood, Part 2, found in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. Let's listen in. Good morning. Um, I apologize if I sound a little nasally, but the, uh, the grass has been just a little extra doing the most today. So um, we'll be in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. We're going to pick back up. A couple weeks ago we ended off in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to continue to go line upon line, verse by verse, here a little, there a little, just as it tells us in Isaiah, is the best way uh, to study the scriptures so that we have a complete understanding of what God is trying to say, what he has said through his word, and, and that we won't uh, springboard or pull certain things out and and uh, come to wrong interpretations and conclusions. So, we'll pick up in verse 11. If you would do me a favor, we're going to go down to verse 28, uh, but we're going to just read uh, verse... 11 through 14, just to prepare our hearts and give honor to God's Word. So, uh, would you stand with me as we read this passage of the text? Then we'll pray, see how the Lord will speak to us. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. I'm only going to read down to verse 14, but we're going to study the rest of the chapter. It says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Lord, thank you for uh, these verses and that we have uh, just things that we can study that will reveal your heart for us and to us and that would reveal your person. For us, Lord, and to us so that we could grasp onto you, Lord, and hang on everything that you have to say. And so I just pray this morning that you would allow these words to be very clear to us and that there would be no eloquence here, Lord, but just a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so move upon us, speak to us specifically, and I pray, Lord... Like a surgeon, you will cut away that which is not necessary in our lives, and you will strengthen that which we need. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of your word, we desire to be doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Two weeks ago, when we started Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, we were speaking of a better priesthood. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, a better priesthood. And so the title of our message this morning is a continuation of that. It's a better priesthood part two, because we stopped right in the middle of the thought of the writer. And so we're going to pick back up in verse 11 on this idea that there's a better priesthood. Now, remember, I, as we jumped into the book of Hebrews, as I surveyed all that was being said, I realized that the Lord wanted to show us that these are better things, that there are better things for us in God's word in a relationship with the Lord. There are better things. So, so often in the world today, we busy ourselves with a lot of good things, but not the best things. We, we have such a desire and a hunger and ambition for seemingly good things, but often not the best things. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about, is showing us what are the best things. And so far in the book of Hebrews, we have discovered that the Lord Jesus is a better figure. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, that he was made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Uh, He's so much more a better figure. And we have also seen things of salvation, that we have a better salvation. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, it says, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. We have a better figure in Jesus Christ. We have a better salvation through Jesus Christ. Again, even though the title of the book is Hebrews, it is written to Jewish Christians during that first century, it is also apropos or appropriate for us as well. You see, because the Jewish believer at that time, they had a priesthood, they had a Levitical or liturgical type service, where they had a temple and they had sacrifices. And as they became Christians, there was a shift of focus from the sacrifices and the temple and all the works that you have to do to be made right with God to coming to God who has made us right with Him, Jesus Christ. And so they had to leave all that stuff behind the Jewish Christian, the Hebrew Christian. They had to take all of that tradition and, 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 and all the liturgical things that they learned and set them aside. And they had to put their eye on Jesus Christ. Now, this is no different to us. We're not Jewish or Hebrew. In fact, if we were looking at it from a biblical lens, we would be considered Gentile. That means of another ethnicity. Uh, The Greek word for Gentiles, ethnos, is where we get our English word ethnicity, a different background. But we can also suffer some of the same pitfalls that these Hebrew Christians had in their faith. We can bring traditions into our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can bring things into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And these are not the best things. They may not be the best things for us and these things can crowd out what the lord wants to do in our lives now the jewish person would concentrate very hard where we say a better priesthood because they were familiar with that but as a person that is non-jewish we could also concentrate very hard because The Lord Jesus did some things through his priesthood being a mediator, a go-between for us to allow us to be able to come to God, come to the Father. John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life that nobody comes to the Father except through me. This is what the Lord Jesus said. And so... We can look at the Lord as being our priest. Most people confide in a priest. They share their failures with the priest. They share their desires with the priest. And they trust that that priest will take that to God and and that God would hear. And and we can take that directly to Jesus. He is a much, and shows a much better priesthood. Now through The rest of this chapter, Hebrews chapter 7, 11 through 28, there are three things about his priesthood that we will follow up on from two weeks ago when we were going through chapters, verses 1 through 10. Is that this better priesthood, it brings three things. It brings a better anticipation. Verses 11 through 19, we'll see that. It also brings a better agreement. And I'll give you more of what that, uh, what that means, but that is verse 20 through 22, a better agreement. And lastly, it, it gives us a better advocate. Verse 23 through 28, a better anticipation, a better agreement, a better advocate. This is through this better priesthood that we find in the Lord. Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. The writer here says, if therefore perfection was by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Let me break that down and what he's saying here. We talked about Melchizedek two weeks ago. This was a man That was in the book of Genesis, chapter 14. He met Abraham as he was coming off of a battle. And when Abraham saw him, it said that Abraham, he showed him a measure of respect and reverence. In fact, he gave him a tenth of the goods that he got back from this war. He acknowledged this guy. It says that this guy, Melchizedek, was a priest of this city called Salem a city of peace. He was a priest, he was a king also. And Abraham recognized that he was a priest of the Most High God. There was something different about this Melchizedek. Now he was a priest, and this is well before Aaron and his sons became the priests for Israel. That's all the way in the book of Exodus. It's when Moses went into Egypt and the, the Hebrews were in Egypt as slaves, and God led them through the, the wilderness. And call your attention to the, the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston. And that's that old movie. And he led the Israelites out. It's a great visual depiction. He led them out through the Red Sea and led them into the wilderness where the Lord would be, his, be their God. And while they were in the wilderness, God wanted to open up a way for them to be able to connect with himself. Because, you know, it wasn't going to be possible for all the people to connect with the Lord individually just like Moses would. You see, the people, their hearts weren't all the way in with the Lord, and and, and God is too holy to allow sin in His sight. Those people would be killed if they came before the Lord any kind of way. So God instituted a go-between, and that go-between would be through the through Aaron and his sons and Aaron would be this chief priest who would represent the nation to God and represent God to the nation and then his sons would serve alongside as priests serving and helping the people ask God for forgiveness of their sins and helping the people offer offerings to the Lord of, of thanksgiving and blessing and so this priesthood perpetuated for many many years But this man, Melchizedek, was before all of that. He was already a priest of the Most High God. He did not descend through Aaron and through Aaron's sons and their sons. He didn't descend that way. He was outside of the priesthood. And so what the writer here says is that if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, the one that came from Aaron, if if you could become perfect and complete through that priesthood, then what need was it that another priest should come after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron? Why don't we still have the priests in the temple? Why, why is that all taken away? Because there is something better. You see, this priesthood, the whole design was, was really so that the people, so that we could get closer to God. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, it was all broken and severed. When sin entered into the human race and Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, that caused a separation. It says that the Lord had to kick them out of the garden of Eden. He had to create a space between himself and them. They can no longer be there in the garden near the tree of life and enjoying the closeness of God. Sin had caused a chasm, a gap, a whole. Sin separated it. And so the priesthood was supposed to be there to bring the people back closer to God. But the priesthood was lacking. It wasn't all that it should be. You couldn't become perfect through it. And this is intriguing when you read a verse like this because there are still many people today that are trying to hold to all the tenets of that priesthood. They're still trying to hold to the law. You got to follow the law, man. You got to follow the Ten Commandments. Listen, the Ten Commandments were good. That was God's standard. But by ourselves, we could never reach God's standard. And so, all that the Ten Commandments showed us is that we were sinners and that we always go the wrong way. And it's very hard to attain it the book of Galatians chapter 3, it says that if you're going to keep one part of the law, you have to keep the entire law, which is impossible without Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, there's still many believers today that are trying to hold to that. They're still trying to hold to the law. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus. They still want this part of the priesthood, even though it tells us here that there's no way that this could make us perfect, otherwise there was no need for another priest to come. You got to think of it this way: For the Hebrew Christian, for the Jewish believer the, the the essence of their of this book and this letter being written to them, even this statement right here being written to them, was to show them that that they needed their understanding, uh, needed to increase or expand so that they could have this access to the Lord through this this priesthood, through the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the non-Jewish person, it's the same thing with us. It's not that our understanding needs to expand and, so that we can have the access. It's that we need to embrace the fact that the Lord is our priest so we can... We can stay in that access. You see, there's a lot of believers today that are doing what Galatians chapter uh, three, verse three tells us. It says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? There's still so many believers that are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of them, to provide for them, to hear their needs and to go to, them. they're trying to do it themselves. They're trying to become perfect in their own strength. What does that mean that they're trying to become perfect in their own strength? That means that they're trying to become spiritual through their own efforts. Not through what the scriptures say, but through what they think. Well, if I do this, and if I go here, and if I do that, then I'll become... It's outside of what God says. And there are so many people that are trying to do that because, listen... There's nothing new under the sun. Now he wrote that Galatians 3.3, you become so foolish. He didn't write it to Jewish believers. He wrote it to, to some Gentile believers, Galatians. People of, of modern day, uh, in that region of modern day Turkey. And uh, these people were desiring uh, to become perfect. They, they, They started out in the spirit by listening to what God had to say, and then they were transitioning themselves to start to do things what they thought was right and and trying to do certain works to make themselves right with God. And they were pushing themselves out. And this is, many people do this today. So we're trying to do all these things to be accepted by God instead of just accepting what God has given us. Notice it says in verse 12 of Hebrews 7, it says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of a necessity a change also of the law. This says, since Melchizedek is outside of Aaron, he's not in that same whole priest category, then that means that whole situation with Aaron and the priest, the Levites, that has to be changed too. (coughs) He says, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar belongs to another tribe. What, is, what does that mean? It says, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which, the, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Jacob, this is the patriarch of Israel. This is where Israel gets all of their their names from. It comes from his 12 sons. and And Jacob, one of his sons, was named Levi, L-E-V-I, Levi. And Levi, through that son, came Moses and Aaron and all the priests. And so they were known as Levites. The priesthood came through Levi. He also had another son. His name was Judah. The priesthood didn't come through Judah. it came through Levi. In fact, God had specific instructions that nobody could become a priest unless you were born of the Levites. If you were born outside of that tribe, you could not become a priest. That was God's specific instruction. However, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah yet he became a priest and so the writer here is showing us that the lord the lord changed everything up this is how this is what god often wants to do in our lives he wants to change things up for you you see but we are people that are very complacent we are creatures of habit we don't like change and so when the lord comes into our life and he says i want you to stop doing what you're doing and i desire that you repent that means to make a decision to change, to go the opposite direction, to not be the same person with the same desires and the same habits that you used to have, but to now discover what he wants you to do and have new habits, be a new creature. God wants us to change, but oftentimes we don't want to change. God here was changing this whole structure here for the Hebrew Christians, for them to realize now that our... High priest and chief priest is now from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. This doesn't make any kind of sense, but this is what God wants. He wants change in our lives, and it's change for the good, because this, because that priesthood was lacking. It could never make us perfect. God wanted to fill that up. He wanted to close that gap, because He does want us to attain to become. Complete and what He has called us to be, and so the Lord Jesus Christ comes, springing out of the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi, becoming a high priest for us. And He goes on in verse fifteen. He says, "And it is yet far more evident." That means thoroughly clear. It is yet more clear, for that after the similitude. That means. After the resemblance of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. So this priest that was a priest of the Most High God that was well before Aaron and his sons, this priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is after this guy. He's coming after this priesthood. He says, who was made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. You see, this is the difference between the priesthood that, that the Israelites had, where they were trying to connect with this man who would connect them with God. He says that it was a, it was a fleshly commandment. <coughs> it was a commandment from this earth, but he, it ended. And so when that priest died, another priest came along, and it was never going on and on, but the Lord Jesus Christ has an endless life. He's not dead. He's alive. He died on the cross, but he rose again the third day, and he lives in the heavens waiting for us when we transition from this world into that world. So, his priesthood is not after the law, it's not something fleshly, something earthy that we have on this earth. It's it's endless, it's eternal. It's beyond us. And he goes on to say in verse 17, for he testifies that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What he is saying here, this verse, in verse 17, he's quoting Psalm chapter 110, verse 4. And I'm going to read that for you. Psalm 110, verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn... And will not repent, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is a prophecy right there. That was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ before he even came to this earth. That this is the type of priest he was going to have. God was swearing by it, promising that he was going to have a priesthood like this guy, where you didn't know his beginning and you, he has no ending comes from Psalm 110, verse 4. And so he goes on in verse 18, and he says, For there is truly a disannulling. That's a big fancy word for a putting away. There is truly a putting away of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. What he's saying is that the law, the commandment, it wasn't strong enough to make us perfect. To make us complete with God, it was weak. It was unprofitable. You see, God's law, God's standard was true. It was high. It was noble. But we could never reach it. It was too tall for us. God said, Do not steal. That's too hard for us. Our hearts are so far from the Lord that we find ourselves stealing. He says, Do not commit adultery. Our hearts are so far for us not to do that. He says, do not kill. Our hearts are so far. It's too hard for us not to not do these things. And so all that God's law showed us is that we can never reach what God's standard is. So the Lord Jesus Christ came with another way. And it says in verse 19 of Hebrews 7, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw near to God. The law didn't make anything perfect. Can we just say that again? The law made nothing perfect. Why is it that many believers are trying to hold to the law? They're trying to live their life as a lawful, abiding Christian. I'm talking about from a standpoint of spiritual law, not obeying the laws of the land. You need to do that. But the spiritual law Going back to the Old Testament, I, I hear Christians, they're like, no, I just believe what the Old Testament says. The Ten Commandments is enough for me. I don't, I don't believe in anything in the New Testament. It's, this is not right. It tells us right here that the law cannot make you perfect. It cannot make you complete. It is works-based. It's what you think you need to do to earn something from God. It's not going to work. It can never make you perfect. And we don't have to be Jewish Christians to understand this completely. Uh, We we could still fall into the same category where we're trying to make ourselves perfect. If I just do this thing, God will love me more. If If I just speak this way, God will bless my life. If I just give this money, the Lord will bless me. That's not how it works. That's living according to the law. It's according to works, which you think you need to do to earn something from God. And it tells us right here that it cannot make us perfect. It can't. So watch yourself. Examine yourself, because there may be times in your life where you're trying to do something and you feel like, you know, things are not working out, and so I'm going to start going to church more. Yes, you should. Go to church more. But don't do it because you think you just, you're just just trying to get something from God. If I go to church more, he's going to bless me this way. He'll bless my situation. That's not how it works. You go to church more. You do these things. You're obedient to the Lord because you want to honor the Lord. Because you want to be well-pleasing to him. That's why you do it. You read the word because you want to be pleasing to God. Not because you... Just want to get something from him Can I make you perfect but he says bringing in a better hope did by which we draw near to god so this change in this priesthood the lord jesus christ gives us a better hope he gives us a better anticipation a better hope of what that would be the question a better what is the better hope of what a better hope of drawing near to god a better hope of being pleasing to the Lord, getting close to Him. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ brings us. It's a better hope for that. You see, this is what people desired in the Old Testament and people that followed the laws that they could get close to God and God would receive them and and God would bless their life and and look upon them and say, you are righteous. This is what people desire. But they couldn't achieve it because the standard was too high. But the Lord Jesus Christ now as the chief priest, as as our priest, he gives us a better hope of drawing near to him. Just as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is what we get now. This is what we get from the Lord. We have a better hope that we could draw near To the Lord. That we can come boldly to his throne. Without fear. We take it for granted, guys. We take it for granted. The Lord has broken down the partition that separated us from himself. He took that away so that we can now come straight to him. We take it for granted because we don't. We don't take that opportunity and say the god of the universe the one that made the moon the moon was so full the other night absolutely amazing can't remember if it was last night or the previous night but it was full and when you look at things like that this is the god who made that genesis chapter one he made the lesser light at night he put that into the sky this god says you can draw near to me you could come close to me this is a better hope better than anything that we could have ever expected that he would hear us that he would receive us i remember a couple years ago we had a chance to go see the great eclipse i can't remember if it was 2017 or 2016 one of those years and we got a chance to go see this eclipse to be a part of a solar eclipse this was just absolutely amazing because no one on earth could orchestrate the moon coming in between the sun and the sun being at the perfect distance from the earth and the moon to where they're all the same size. No one could orchestrate that except the Lord of heaven. And we watched it. And that moon came right over the sun. And it got dark. And we had our eyes on the moon and the sun, our natural eye. No one orchestrated that except the God of heaven. He did that, and he said that we could come to him. This is a much, much better hope, that we could be near to him, that we could draw near to this God, and not be set so far and just looking at only certain people. Now, some people still do that. They just expect that the pastor is the only one that can get close to God. And so they say, you know, pastor, you know, you just pray to God for me because this situation in my life is, is so serious. <laughs> Pastor, you pray for me. This situation is serious in my life. Well, why don't you pray? Oh, no, no, no. Lord is not hearing me. He hears your prayers. He doesn't hear my prayers. That's not biblical. That's not right. Because he has opened the way for us to have this better hope of coming near drawing near to him. So he says in verse 20, he gives us a better agreement when it comes to these things. He says, And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath. What he's saying here is that when the priest Became priest in the Old Testament. They became priests because their father was a priest, and their father was a priest, and their grandfather was a priest, and it went all the way back to the son of Jacob, Levi. And so it was, there was no there was no swearing in or any oath. You know how the governor comes in, or the president, when the president becomes president, he has to go and stand on the steps of Congress of of the uh, US Capitol and he puts his hand on a Bible and he says I swear to execute the duties of the president the office of the president of the United States or the governor or whatever it is the mayor they take an oath the priest didn't take an oath they just became priests because their father was a priest and they were in the line this is how it went (coughs) but he says the Lord received an oath he received a swearing in as I read to you in Psalm 110, verse 4, he was sworn in. He said, I swear, after the order of Melchizedek, you are a priest forever. And this is showing that it's, it's lasting, it's standing. And so he says, the Lord swore and will not repent. That means change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much, Jesus was made A surety a guarantee of a better testament a better the better will of God a better covenant a better promise he says he has been made a guarantee so we have a better agreement the question that I want to ask you the question that we should ask ourselves is why was a better agreement necessary why was a better testament necessary (laughs) What about the previous testament? Was that not acceptable? Why does Jesus have to bring in a better testament? What's the purpose? Why? You see, you have to look at it this way. That the previous testament was dependent upon man. But the New Testament is independent of man. It is the Lord establishing this. You see, the previous testament was, was really just, it was all about us. It was really concentrating on us. The priesthood and the Ten Commandments and all that, it was really concentrating on us. How to get us right. How to make us have this relationship with God. That's, that's where it was focused. The New Testament, it's independent of us. is really concentrating on God and what the Lord wants. It's concentrating on God and what the Lord wants. This is why it is a better testament. Jesus is a guarantee of that. You see, the previous testament was confirmed by the blood of animals, bulls and goats and lambs and doves, but the New Testament is confirmed by the blood of the Son. You see, the the way that they had their Old Testament and their covenants and their promises and and walking in the law and all the things that they wanted to get close to God something had to die <laughs> that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned it says that after they sinned their eyes were open and they were naked and they saw themselves and they were naked and they were ashamed so the first thing that they did is they tried to go cover themselves And they found fig leaves, these big leaves, and they tried to sew them as clothes to cover themselves up. But the Lord came later after he saw their efforts, just wasn't possible, and he gave them animal skins, clothes to to wear. That means something had to die. Some blood had to be shed for their sin. See, the, the, the previous testament was based on was confirmed by the blood of animals. The New Testament is confirmed by the blood of the Son. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, it tells us this. He says, Likewise, also the cup after supper, he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The New Testament now is confirmed by the blood of Christ. Not by the blood of animals, but the blood of Christ. By the way, I just wanted to side note. You know, we wear clothes and we're all stylish today. You know, in, a, in the world that we live in. If you don't have the nice garments or the name brand stuff, you're not gay. Clothes were a sign of shame. I'm not saying we need to be walking around without clothes. Please keep your clothes on. But the original institution of clothes, garments, it wasn't so that you could look fancy. It was to cover your shame, your sin. That was a consequence of the fall. So think about that as you're out there spending hundreds of dollars on clothes. This is, this is a result of the fall. This is where clothes came from. Okay, nobody invented it. Like, Oh, I just wanted to wear a nice wool sweater. It wasn't necessary in the beginning. When sin entered the the realm, into this world, to our lives, then that became necessary. (laughs) And so he goes on, he says that Jesus was a much better testament. Look, the previous testament, the previous testament was based on works for God. It was what you could do for the Lord. That's what it was all based on. When you read the Old Testament, this is basically what it was, centered around your works. And so the when you get to the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you had the chief priests there, and they were steeped, the Pharisees and the Sadducees the different classes of priests, they were steeped in the law. They They so desired to do everything right according to the law because they wanted to be made perfect with God. They wanted to be made perfect. And so they... It was all about works, what they did. And so, if you can recall with me, there was a man that was praying one time, and there was also uh, there were two men praying in the temple. And one man was a Pharisee. The other man was was a tax collector. And the Pharisee was praying, and the tax collector was praying, but their prayers were a little different. You see, the Pharisee was talking about everything he did for God. He said, "God, I thank you that I tithe." My money and I fast twice a week and I do this and I do that and I'm not like that tax collector over there. But the tax collector, he just he just beat his breasts. He just just hit his chest and said, Be merciful to me, God. I'm a sinner. The previous testament was about works for God. The New Testament is about the work of God. It has nothing to do with what we need to do for God. It has everything to do with what He did for us. This is why. Jesus is the guarantee of a much better testament. This is why we walk in this New Testament which is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is much better. It's not about works and what you need to do. It's all about what he did in accepting it. That's the difference between Christianity and all these other world religions. Hinduism, Buddhism, all this stuff. The difference between that is that all those religions are trying to do something to be made right with God. But Christianity is all about what God did so that we could be right with Him. It has nothing to do with what we need to go do. You know, you you hear people say it all the time, I just need to clean myself up. You know, uh, uh, there's an old song that said, uh, I, I need to I need to clean up what I messed up. You know, and it's like, you just come into God. You're like, I got to clean it up first. You know, got to get clean for the Lord. That's not of the Lord. That's not Christianity. That's not from Christ. It's what Christ did for us. And then we we accept his free gift. He says, here's what I did for you. Now you just need to accept it and walk in the things that I did for you. That's the difference between Christianity. And this is why it is a much better testament. He goes on in verse 23, he says, and they truly were many priests because they were not allowed to continue by reason of death. That means every time a priest died, a new one comes, and so somebody's, you know, nephew and someone's cousin and uncles, and they just continue on and on. And so you'll have thousands of priests over centuries. But this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. There's no need for anybody else to come after the Lord Jesus. He's forever. He lives forever. He is now in the heavens waiting for us. There's no need for another to come. Not like that old priesthood. Now, I told you in the beginning that a better priesthood brings us three things. It brings us a better anticipation, a better hope. It brings us a better agreement, that that testament we were just talking about. And it brings us a better Advocate. Instead of it being a man like us standing in between us and God, we now have Jesus Christ. He is much better and surpasses the excellence of men. And he stands for us to connect us to God. What is an advocate? What does that mean? If you looked it up in the dictionary, it just means one who calls. One who calls uh, to aid or one who, uh, one who, who, excuse me, one who helps. The definition of an advocate is one that comes alongside to help, a helper. One that pleads another's cause. That is an advocate. In the U.S. Navy, we had a, an occupation called the Judge Advocate General, the JAG. And this was a group of people that were lawyers, and they were set there to come to the aid of the United States Navy or any of those that are serving in it. That is an advocate. That is an advocate. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is for us. He's a much better advocate. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us, My little children, These things I write to you, that you do not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If any man sins against God, we have an advocate. We have someone that stands in between us and God and will plead our cause. If I sin against God, Jesus Christ is there. He's pleading my cause, Father. Deshawn is a knucklehead, but please forgive him. I'm pretty sure he says that a lot about me. But he's a better advocate for us. Standing in our place, pleading our cause. And notice what it says in verse 25. It says, therefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Gang, what I want you to see here is it doesn't say he is able to save them from the uttermost. He says he is able to save them to the uttermost. We know it's true that the Lord can save us from anything. Even a person that's a murderer can receive a pardon from the Lord. The Lord can rescue us from any sin, any situation. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that he is able, he has the power to save them to the uttermost. That means forever. You know what? He's able to save you completely, individually. There's nothing lacking in his saving ability. Some people will tell you that you need something else. If you come to them, you say, no, it's just Christ alone. They say, no, you need more than just Christ alone. You need, so you need to work. Jehovah's Witnesses, they're, they're prime people to do that. They knock on your door and they tell you, they, they say, what, what are you doing? Are you, do you care about this world? They try to talk to you. They eventually what they're trying to do is get you to do something, to earn something from God. Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost all the way. Never lacking with him. Notice the ones that he is able to do that with. He says he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. That's an important part of that verse. Don't miss it. That come to God by him. You see, in order for us to experience the benefit of the better advocate, we have to come to the better advocate. You can't receive his benefits if you don't come to him. Many people attempt to do that. They don't come to the Lord. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. You will learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guess what? Many of us hear that verse. You may have heard that before. We know that verse, but we don't come to him. And so, therefore, he can't save us. It's not for everybody, guys. It's only for those who come. Isaiah chapter 55. He says, whoever thirsts, come to the well and drink. Come. You can buy, even if you don't have money. He says, come to me. But many people don't want to come to him. Many people don't come to the Lord. They go to other people. They go to other places. They go to other traditions but they don't come to Jesus. If you want the Lord to be your priest, if you want him to save you to the uttermost, all the way, you have to come to him. You can't experience the blessings and the benefits if you don't come to him. In John chapter 17, verse 9, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he says, I pray for them. Speaking of his disciples, the people that belong to him. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are yours. That's who he's praying for. That's who he's standing in between for. Those who come to him. If you haven't come to him, you are outside of him. You don't have these benefits and promises. Now, don't you want to receive the benefits? I mean, many people, they get, they go and they take jobs. And, and, and the reason why they're taking the jobs is because they want the bennies, as we used to call it, the benefits. I just need to know what the benefits are. Is there leave? Is there medical? Is there dental? I just want the benefits. And then they, they got a good benefit package. You're like, I'm in. Okay, you can be in. The Lord Jesus Christ has a good benefit package for you. There's fire insurance. That means you don't have to go to hell. There's health insurance. That means you you know what? You You may not have a perfect life here, but you but know this. When you get to heaven, he'll make you perfect. There's a lot of benefits with the Lord. There's life insurance is eternal life for you if you come to him. But you you got to come. You can't get this if you don't come. And it says in verse 25, C.A., he ever lives to make intercession for them. He's living to make intercession for us. This is his desire. He just wants to stand in between for us. When we find ourselves in a jam, in a pickle, in something that's hard, and a rock, we're stuck in between to a, a hard place, and, and we're just, we don't know what to do. He's interceding for us, for those who come to him. If you haven't come to him, then he's not interceding for you. His desire is that you repent. That is God's desire, and that you do come to him. That's what he wants. But you have to belong to him. You have to come to him. And this is why he's a much better advocate because he's standing there for us, even in our shortcomings. So many times when we have shortcomings, the first thing we think oftentimes is that the Lord is so done with me. No, God has done. No, that's not what it says. It says he's interceding for you. When you're falling short, he's making up the gap. He doesn't want you to keep falling short, though. You got to learn from the mistakes. He desires for you to grow. This is why you join a church. This is why you become accountable to believers, so you can grow in wisdom and discernment, and so you don't fall into the same trap. He wants you to grow, but he he makes up your shortcomings. He goes on. He says, for such a high priest became us or is fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered himself up. For the law makes men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, before the law, makes the son, who is consecrated forever or forevermore, I want to leave you with the distinctive qualities of our advocate as written down here from verse twenty-eight to 20, 23 to 28. These are the distinctive qualities of our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. First and foremost, as we saw in verse 23 to 25, he is consistent and he is constant. This is the beauty of our advocate. He's consistent. The Lord is not inconsistent with you and me. I'm I'm inconsistent in my fatherhood. Because I'm not perfect. And so I can do it well, maybe for a little while, and then I make mistakes. He's consistent. And he's constant. He is living to make intercession for you and for me. <laughs> if we came to him. He's consistent. He is constant. Here's the other thing in verse 26. It tells us here that the Lord Jesus Christ that he is consecrated. That he is conformed and consecrated He's like us, but not like us. See, he's like us as we read in Hebrews chapter 1 that he became a man like us, but he's not like us. Completely different. Hebrews 2, I should say. He's different from us. He's not a sinner. He's without sin. He's not unholy. He's holy. He's set apart. He's he's not like us. See, he's conformed to us, but he is consecrated, set apart. Lastly, in verse 27, he's clear and he is clean. These are the distinctive qualities of our advocate. He is consistent and constant. He is conformed, but consecrated. He is clear and clean. This is who we can come to. This is why he is a much better priesthood. The other priests, the priests that were like us, they were sinners. Leviticus chapter 16, on the day of atonement, they had to go and ask for forgiveness for their own sins first. He had to lay his hand on the animal first and and ask for his forgiveness and clean himself up first. Then he could do it for the entire nation. It's not the Lord. He's clear, he's clean. This is why he's a much better priest for us. Will you come to him today? Will you not hesitate to run to him today? Will you cease your own works and your own efforts and see that you can never be made perfect apart from him? Will you run to him? Look, ask yourself that question. Will I run to him today? Because the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not once I get these things in order. It is today. Because, gang, we don't know when we will give up our last breath. We don't know. The scripture tells us that life is like the morning fog. Down here in Valdosta, it gets foggy sometimes in the morning, but guess what? By the time 12 o'clock hits, it's dissipated, it's gone. That's how life is. You could be here for 40 years, and then year 41, you're gone. And, and your, your life is gone. Even people that have lived for 100 years, we might talk about them here and there, but gang, nobody's really talking about them anymore. Life is it's fleeting, it's gone. This is why we don't waste time to come to them. We recognize the benefits We run towards the benefits. We embrace the benefits. This better priesthood gives us a better anticipation. It gives us a better agreement. And it brings us a better advocate. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. You can follow us on Twitter at CC underscore Valdosta. And you can visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons to further equip and edify you. Let us now end in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for Hebrews chapter 7. I thank you for giving us verses like this, Lord, in which we can hang our, all of our hope and faith on that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is standing there for me, for us, interceding, going in between, mediating, trying to be there and and make up my shortcomings. Thank you for that, Lord. I just pray that none of us, Lord, would neglect you. Lord, truly, our hearts are wayward, prone to wander. Oh, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. But Lord, we're saying together, here's our heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Lord, tether us to you, Lord. Keep us. And we remember your word that says that you are able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before your glory with exceeding joy. You are able. You are able to save us to the uttermost. May we rest on that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.